0: I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 34. I think it's fair to say that I probably don't preach a topical sermon once a year. Uh, But I'm going to preach one tonight, and this morning came pretty close to it. So this might fill me up for the next two years. But I have been thinking a lot about uh, this sermon. This is the first time that I will have preached this sermon. The title of the sermon is Unconscious Influence. I have read a very, very good sermon by uh, someone who was not always orthodox in his theology on this topic, a man named Horace Bushnell. And uh, I don't, I don't think he has influenced any any particular thing that I have in this sermon. But uh, that is, it is a very good sermon, and uh, I've, I have seen it on the internet because I recently recommended it to our pastoral interns. But this is not Horace Bushnell's sermon. I'm sure that inevitably it will share some things in common that I'm not aware of. But I think that uh, unconscious influence is. Uh, inevitable that all of us have a certain influence that is not deliberate. I think that it's very powerful. In fact, I believe that our unconscious influence may be more powerful than the influence that we deliberately seek to exert. Um, I love uh, a little poem that goes like this, Uh, but let me set you up for it. So this poem was written by someone who uh, had been influenced by an older and more mature Christian. Some, this older and more mature Christian understood theology much better than the writer of this poem, Uh, but the, the poet is expressing his or her, I can't remember if it was written by a man or a woman, the poet is expressing his or her appreciation for this person and the unconscious influence that this person, this older, mature believer has had. And here's what the poet wrote. Not merely in the words you say, not only in your deeds confessed, but in the most unconscious way is Christ expressed. Is it a beatific smile or holy light upon your brow? Oh, no, I felt his presence when you laughed just now. To me, twas not the truth you taught, to you so clear, to me still dim, but when you came to me, you brought a sense of Him. And from your eyes He beckons me, and from your lips His love is shed, till I lose sight of you and see the Christ instead. I think that's a very powerful poem, something that I hope will be true of me. And uh, because I'm quite certain that I do have an unconscious influence, and I'm quite certain that you do as well. And uh, that is potentially very comforting when I come to the last part of the sermon. That will be one of the points of application. This can be encouraging. Uh, But it could also be uh, an opportunity for us to do some serious introspection and ask, what kind of unconscious influence is my character likely to produce? Several years ago, I was discussing with uh, someone in a church where I was interim pastor about the, uh, the discomfort, the confusion as to what to say when I, as a pastor, go to a home where someone has just received bad news, maybe that someone in the home <clears throat> has has, de- has died, sometimes even the corpse is still in the house when the preacher arrives. What do you say when you go to, uh, into such a situation? And after being in the ministry for nearly 50 years, I still, am, uh, I still feel my littleness and my uh, unpreparedness for that. But I was talking about that with this older man, and, and he said, Well, the good thing is, it probably doesn't matter all that much what you say. Because they probably will not remember what you say. But they will remember that you were there. And that, that's a story that I think that's accurate. And that illustrates the power of unconscious influence. What, what happens around us when people are around us? I think that there are some Christians who are like the aroma of cinnamon rolls wafting out of a, out of a bakery. Just, it invites you to come in and have some of those cinnamon rolls. And other professing Christians have an aroma like rotting potatoes in the cupboard. Say, you better put on gloves before you undertake this task. <laughs> and and uh, the Apostle Paul said, We are an aroma of life to some, an aroma of death to others. I want us, first of all, to look at several examples. Uh, first of all from the Bible and then from history and from our own experience that I hope will confirm to you that there is such a thing as unconscious influence and it is very powerful. And the first example is in my text uh, that is here in Exodus chapter 34 beginning with verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with him, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. A very, very marvelous uh, passage of scripture fills one with wonder and a lot of questions that probably won't be answered. I don't know of any other instance in the Bible or throughout recorded history that indicated that anyone had such a supernatural glow on his face, but as, uh, as Pastor in indicated in his prayer, uh, these kind, this kind of interaction with the Lord is rare. In fact, we don't know of anyone else concerning whom it is said that he talked with God face to face as a man talks with his friend. Now, perhaps some of you have already thought about uh, the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the intimate communion that Jesus had with had with God, and in His human body, the uh, the glory of the divinity uh, broke through on the Mount of Transfiguration, and His face was shining uh, as brighter brighter than the snow, and brighter than any launderer soap could possibly get it. One one of the evangelists describes it that way, and even His clothes began to glow, and so I think. In some ways, that is showing us that Jesus, not Moses, is the prophet of the new covenant and the glory that Jesus brings is far more glorious than the glory that Moses experienced and the glory that Moses brought. In fact, in the Corinthian correspondence, there is a contrast that is drawn between the glory of the old covenant that was perishing and the glory of the new covenant that is destined to last forever. And so, in the presence of the Lord, Moses uh, unconsciously began to reflect the glory of the Lord. He wasn't aware of it. it, it frightened the people. But he was unconsciously exerting an influence that came from his being in the presence of the Lord. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to. Us, his followers, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. And both salt and light are elements that act upon their surroundings quietly. The, the salt is in contact with uh, foods that would uh, perish without the preserving influences of salt, uh, but it works. It works quietly. It has an unconscious influence. Uh, light in the same way. Light doesn't make noise, but it has a a warming, life-giving, unconscious influence. And Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. And then consider another example from the Bible. On the day that Jesus arose from the grave, the ladies came back and told the disciples that Jesus is risen from the dead, and so Peter and John went running to the tomb. John was the younger man, and he records in his gospel how that he outran Peter and arrived at the tomb first, but he he did not go in. And then Peter, arriving later, went right into the tomb, and then following his example, John also went into the tomb. I, I plan to bring up some other biblical examples of unconscious influence, but now let's think a bit about uh, some examples that we can think of from history and from our own example and from our own experience. Perhaps you have uh, read a biography of some great saint that had a big influence on you. Uh, I think that the biographies that I've read of George Whitfield, biographies of uh, William J., of uh, C. H. Spurgeon, have had as much influence on me as uh, as have any books that I've read. And it is the power of unconscious influence, just as the author faithfully records how these men lived, what they said, and what they did, has an influence on me, the reader and I think well i, I want to be I want to be like that and <clears throat> But one of the things that I read in uh, accounts of men like C. H. Spurgeon, great preachers like uh, George Whitfield. Uh, preachers even like Martin Lloyd-Jones, people talk about uh, hearing them preach, and it's almost as if they, in, as almost as they, the listener, enter into an, a, a, a trance. It's like an, a mentally altered state. And uh, when I was a young man, I determined that I was going to uh, read one of C.H. Spurgeon's sermons every day, and that was a, uh, that was a, uh, A challenging undertaking. I never successfully did it, but for several years I read probably three to five sermons every week of C.H. Spurgeon, enough until I'd read more than 500 of his sermons. And uh, I confess that while reading those sermons, while I appreciated them very much, I was never transported into some kind of altered mental state. Similarly, I have uh, really admired the ministry of George Whitfield. Uh, but while reading his sermons, I have never seemingly fallen under a spell that I forgot where I was. But that's the way people describe hearing George Whitfield and hearing, hearing uh, Charles Spurgeon and hearing Martin Lloyd-Jones. That when they would hear these great preachers preach, that there was just something that they forgot where they were. Well, here we have the truth. It's the truth of the Bible. It's the truthful words that they spoke about the Bible... What's missing? Why don't I fall under this inexplainable trance that their hearers talked about? What's missing is the unconscious influence of the preacher. Now, you've probably experienced this in your own life regarding preaching. And uh, some of you have been uh, hearing the same preacher preach for nearly 50 years. And uh, no preacher is always equally good. Sometimes uh, we're better than others, and there are times when the Lord really blesses the preaching of uh, your pastor. I hope the, pa- the Lord really blesses the people in my congregation through the preacher that they hear over and over week after week. Uh, but you will almost never be blessed by the preaching of a man whom you believe to be a fake Someone that you think is a hypocrite or someone who is just putting on and not really speaking the words of God to you from his heart, he's just going through a pulpit performance. Because the power of unconscious influence is so unassailable. If you think that someone is a holy man of God, then he can almost stand up and read the want ads from the newspaper, if they still existed, and it has a powerful influence on you. There are some preachers whose whose influence and whose whose power over their hearers can only be explained through unconscious influence and the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> I also think, uh, in in our personal experience, you might think of the influence that uh, your parents had over you. My uh, wife and I. Uh, do marriage counseling for the young couples in our church who are going to get married. And uh, one of the sessions that we have, we just had a session the night before last, uh, Friday night, we were talking with a couple to get married. And one of the sessions that we have is how to have a fair fight. And so we go through a a list of about 15 things that a couple ought to remember when they're having a disagreement. And one of the things that we mention in that is Take note of the way that your parents disagreed. And if you don't approve of that, then you're going to have to make a deliberate effort to avoid it because that will be your natural tendency to fuss in the same way that your parents fussed. Now, our parents never sat us down and said, here's how you have a fuss. Watch me and mom do it. <clears throat> but, uh, but we were watching. We were learning. We were being influenced by their unconscious influence, most of us have also been <clears throat> in a in some a crowd, maybe at a football stadium or in a basketball arena, where the excitement uh, became palpable in that place, and we got caught up in it. There are uh, groups, uh, crowds that e- exert an unconscious influence. Uh, we perhaps have been on an athletic team where. Suddenly, uh, a very mundane game got turned into a very exciting game, and and we felt it. And uh, we were were perhaps able to perform above our normal ability because there was this unconscious influence of, we're going to do this, we're going to do it together, we're going to win. And there are churches also that have an unconscious influence that uh, cultivate... uh, Attitudes of faithfulness and attitudes of support and encouragement and enthusiasm for the word of God. And so there are many examples from the Bible and also from history and from our own personal experience about the power of unconscious influence. But now after having seen some examples, let's go on and secondly see what is the source of this unconscious influence? And especially talking about individuals, I know I've mentioned groups, but especially talking about individuals, the power of unconscious influence flows from character. Now character is who you really are. Not the person you may at times pretend to be, but the person that you are, the person that you are in the dark, the person that you are when no one is watching and no one is listening Uh, the person that you really are. And uh, the person that you are, I believe, is inevitably and powerfully going to have an unconscious influence upon those with whom you associate, those who see you and who are around you. It can be for good or it can be for bad, but I think it is unavoidable that you are going to have unconscious influence. And it stems from the person that you are. And the person that you are, I believe, is the person that you deliberately cultivate in secret. And so it's not just the person that you might happen to be naturally. Um, So if if you are naturally prone to anger, and then you deliberately Uh, seek to cultivate patience and you no longer become an angry person, what's the real you? Is the real you the angry person? Well, that's the natural you, but no, the real you is the the person who has now become patient, the person who has uh, gained the capacity to exercise control over his anger. That's the real you. And if you occasionally become angry, then uh, there are some psychologists who would say, you see, that's the real you. You're just suppressing the real you. But that, that is not true. The real you is the you that you cultivate in secret or the, or the person that uh, you allow to, to grow through bad habits in secret. I mean, I, if, you're, if you're doing bad things on the Internet when no one knows what's going on, You're you're forming your character and it it may be that you never get caught at it. But be sure of this. There is nothing that is secret that will not be found out. Jesus said to his disciples, what you have whispered in the inner room will be shouted from the housetops. Sooner or later, the content of your character will be made known, and it often is not way off at the day of judgment, it manifests itself in the unconscious influence that you have around others. And so the Bible gives us uh, several very good summaries of Christian character, and uh, was contemplating this in, in, in recent days and And uh, asking the question, is is the entire Christian life about bringing glory to God through the cultivation of Christian character? And I think it is. That the whole Bible, the whole kingdom of God is about bringing a lot of people to a godly Christian character to the glory of God. I think this is what it means when it says in Romans chapter 8 that Jesus is to be the firstborn among many brothers. The Holy Spirit, using the Bible, using his own personal influence and the other means of grace that he has provided, the Holy Spirit is cultivating Christian godly character in the lives of all of his elect. Let's look at some of these descriptions of uh, Christian character that are given to us in the New Testament. And the first one that we'll look at is in Matthew chapter 5. I don't have time to, uh, to give an explanation of these character qualities that are mentioned here in, in Matthew chapter 5. But I will point out that uh, what we see here is not a prescription on what you are to do, but a description of who you ought to be. It's character. And then actions will flow out of character. But notice Jesus' description of the the citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me just give a sentence or two of explanation of each one of these beatitudes. Blessed are the people who don't think that they have it all together and that they can do it without God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In other words, blessed are those people who recognize that they have strayed from God and it makes them sad. Those people are in a position to be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those people who, having embraced the fact that they're poor in spirit and that they're sinners and it has made them sad, now they respond with gratitude to how well God treats them and amazement on how well other people treat them. That's the spirit of meekness. And those are the people who inherit the earth, not just in some distant future, but even now, those are the people who enjoy life. Not the people who think they are entitled. The people who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We see that we often fail, it has made us sad, and we are thankful for God's mercy to us, but we want more of him, we want more of his righteousness. And Jesus said a person who is hungry and thirsty for righteousness is blessed. They are the people who are going to be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, people who recognize that if God has treated me so well, then I need to also have a merciful attitude towards others. I said that this is primarily what you're supposed to be and not what you're supposed to do. This is possibly an exception to that, but not necessarily. And then Jesus says in in verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those people who have a single focus in life. We're not distracted with, with, with distracting things, but they have a single eye and a single focus on seeking after the Lord. Those people are going to see God. Blessed are those who are peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. People who don't have a belligerent attitude, but who are looking for ways that they can uh, make peace with others and help others to make peace with God. And even though they may be persecuted, they embrace the, uh, the blessing of Jesus. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A person who lives like that is going to have a powerful unconscious influence. There will be things that he deliberately says and deliberately does trying to influence others, but his unconscious influence will be so powerful. Let's look at another description of the Christian character, this time in Galatians chapter five. Here we find the fruits of the spirit. Now don't forget our context here. We're saying that the power of unconscious influence is in character. It it may be bad character, but now we're looking at the the Bible's description of good character. And in in Galatians chapter 5, we read about the fruit of the Spirit, beginning in verse 22. I'll read these things slowly. I want to give you a moment to just quickly think of what that means. And then also ask, is this true of me? Am I bearing this kind of fruit? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, there may be one or two things there that we would like to have a further explanation of. What does it mean to be kind? What does it mean when someone is good or at goodness? But most of those things we understand. Is that the kind of character that you are seeking to develop? Is that the kind of character that you have even though all of us would say, I've got room for improvement. Of course we have room for improvement, but here's the thing. If you have the spirit, then the fruits of the spirit to some degree are going to be born in you. And they may be just little fruits. They may be like little green apples on the tree in in early June, but they are things that can be developed. You're not supposed to just instill these things in yourself without any help from the spirit if the spirit is in you this is the character of Jesus Christ this is the character that Jesus had and now the character of Jesus Christ is influencing your mind influencing your desires and producing this kind of character in you as we'll see it doesn't happen without effort in fact we'll see that in our next description uh, and this will be the third and final one that I show you in 2 Peter chapter 1 so here we have another description of Christian character. And a, a character of the sort that is described in the Beatitudes is going to have a good, godly, unconscious influence. The kind of character that is described in the fruits of the Spirit is going to have a good, godly, unconscious influence. And the kind of character that is described here in 2 Peter chapter 1 is going to have a good Godly, unconscious influence. Verse 5, remember I introduced this passage with saying that it does require effort. That's emphasized here. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your, and now here follow, here follow a list of character qualities, things that you are to be and not just do. Make every effort to supplement your faith, That's the first one with virtue or excellence and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Even reading it so deliberately, I know that that's uh, like trying to get a drink out of a fire hose, and so you may make mental note or even jot down on a on a piece of paper later on. All three of these passages, write down these three passages of Scripture to consider more leisurely later, and even to make them a matter of prayer. It doesn't take that much effort to memorize these three these three lists, and. I would say that it probably will bear fruit in your life if you make it a part of your prayer life, that you wouldn't have to pray through all three lists every day, but maybe once a week, you pray through the Beatitudes, and once a week, you pray through the fruits of the Spirit. and Maybe once a week, you pray through the description of, uh, of the virtuous character that is here in 2 Peter chapter 1, and that way, you're constantly reminding yourself of what a godly Christian character looks like, and thereby making yourself a likely candidate for the Lord to use in exerting a godly Christian influence on those around you. But now, <clears throat> so we've seen, first of all, examples from the Bible and from history and experience about uh, people who exerted unconscious influence. And then secondly, I I have tried to show you that the source of unconscious influence is a godly character. Described character and then looked at three biblical descriptions of godly character. Now let's uh, ask and seek to answer the question, what are the building blocks that go into forming a character that is likely to have a good godly influence and the first one is being in the presence of God we can refer back to the scripture that I read near the first of this sermon when Moses was in the presence of God then his face began to glow he wasn't aware of it but it was obvious to people that were around him that he had been in the presence of God there is no substitute for this You have a tendency, I have a tendency, to become like the people that I am around, and especially to become like the people that I admire. And if we admire God, if we worship God, and if we are in his presence, then his presence will have a transforming influence upon us. And so, be in the presence of God. That's the first building block. For the second one, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. And look at verse 4, John chapter 15 and verse 4. So the first building block is to be in the presence of God, and the second building block is abide in Jesus and his word abide in you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Now look at this. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. In other words, Jesus is making a promise here, and I'm not taking this out of context. You can read the whole section. He's making the promise, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. And you might say, well, I don't don't see it. Maybe you don't see it, but the Lord is faithful to his word. And you will be having a fruitful influence on those around you. So be much in the presence of God. Abide in Christ. Have his word abide in you. And then back in... In Second Peter chapter one, the third building block is deliberately cultivate these things. Deliberately do it. Uh, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Uh, verse ten says, "Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election." And the way that you confirm your calling and election is by demonstrating this this Christian character, which results in having an, a good godly, unconscious influence. And then in 1 Peter, there is yet another building block, and uh, so the third one was be diligent, make every effort, and now this fourth building block is to have faith in God. I get this from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. You see, there's that unconscious influence. She's just being a submissive, godly wife. She's not always nagging her lost husband. But it may be under the blessing of the Lord that God blesses this unconscious influence, and it results in the conversion of her husband. Well let's conclude with uh, a few words of practical application. And the first thing is be aware. I've been I've been pro- be aware. Period. I have been talking to you primarily about the unconscious influence that you exert, but other people also are exerting unconscious influence on you. You may not know it, but uh, you can sometimes identify it in others. You can see it happening. I, several years ago, I heard, a, uh, I heard a great big football player of a preacher uh, pronouncing a word in an unusual way. The word was silly, and he pronounced it seely. You know, so he was talking about something, and he said, Now we know that that's seely. And I thought, this guy's, this guy's from Louisiana. He doesn't talk that way. Who's he imitating? And then several months later I heard his pastor and his pastor who was from southeastern Ohio also pronounced the word "seely." And I thought, "Where are they getting this?" And then a few months later I heard a pastor that they both admired from Wales and he pronounced the word "seely." <laughs> okay, there's the source. And uh, I I became friends with uh, the football player preacher. And I I addressed him and I said, look, you need to stop imitating blank and you need to stop imitating blank because truth be told, you're a better preacher than both of them. But he admired those men and he was imitating them. Back uh, in the uh, late 1700s, there was a preacher in England who was Regarded as the the best preacher, Robert Hall, he was a Baptist, and Robert Hall had a bad back and so when he preached he would he would curl his hand around and put pressure on his lower back region and uh, It was noticed that throughout England, young preachers began holding their hands behind their back and <laughs> pushing on their lower back area, uh, unconscious influence. Uh, I when we several of us were at the Ocean City Bible Conference and we heard Greg Gilbert preach and Greg Gilbert is a very fine preacher. Uh, but have you ever seen Mark Dever preach? Because Greg Gilbert is Mark Dever's disciple and if you if you had seen Dever and then watched Gilbert, you'll say, that is a Mark Dever mannerism, and the same thing. Last year at the Ocean City Bible Conference, Aaron Minikoff also preached. Very fine preacher and a preacher in his own right. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not putting down Greg Gilbert and uh, Aaron Minnikoff for imitating, to some degree, uh, Mark Dever. They have their own voice, and they're not they're not trying to be little Mark Devers. Uh, a few about a year ago, I was preaching at a, at a church, and one of the young men that I have mentored was also preaching. There. And afterwards, my sister said, he even holds his hands like you. So I, I don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing. I'm just pointing out that it, it's there. And be aware that you are subject to unconscious influence. And I think that being aware is what leads the, the Bible to say bad company corrupts good morals. If you're hanging around with with people who are exerting a bad influence, then it's going to influence you. On the other hand, the Bible also says, he who walks with the wise grows wise. And so take advantage of that. Be aware that you too are subject to the uh, influences of unconscious influence exerted by those who are around you. So be aware. But secondly, be challenged. Form your character. Be much in the presence of God. Pray. Meditate upon God's word. Uh, find time to, to uh, put away some of the distractions that are keeping you from spending quality time in the presence of the Lord. Be challenged. Uh, you, you do not have direct control over your unconscious influence, but you do have indirect control through the formation of your character. So be aware, be challenged, finally, be encouraged because it very well may be that you are having influence on others that you are unaware of and God may be using your unconscious influence to accomplish his purposes in the lives of those who are around you and based on what Jesus tells us as recorded in John chapter 15 it's a sure thing If you are abiding in Christ and his words are abiding in you, you are bearing fruit. Amen.